Some of you will know the name Laura Story. Uh, she's a Christian recording artist. Um, and back in 2004, she wrote a song called Indescribable. And she recorded it, released it, and it was picked up by uh, another, another singer called Chris Tomlin. He recorded it, and it became this huge hit and really opened up her uh, Christian recording career. Uh, that year, she was hired as uh, a minister of worship and women's ministry at a, a megachurch in Atlanta. Uh, she married her high school sweetheart. It, it seemed that life was good. Everything was going according to plan. And, but following the wedding, her husband was in graduate school in Atlanta, and he started having some some headaches at first. Then he had difficulty concentrating, struggled with remembering all the things that he needed to remember for his studies, and it didn't seem like what he had been experiencing up until that point in his studies. He decided to go to the doctor and was told he had a brain tumor. What started off as just some difficulties really became... Uh, life-threatening. He was, uh, had, had, uh, uh, was induced into a, a coma at one point, uh, still a newlywed. They thought he would die, uh, and eventually surgery uh, was successful. Uh, he was spared his life, but wasn't spared the long-term consequences uh, short-term memory loss and, and some other uh, ways that his brain was affected by this uh, tumor that he dealt with. Uh, Laura Story uh, had to make sense of all this. She had to make sense of her God, and she wrote a song called Blessings. And many people can relate, I think, to the pain that she felt and some of the feelings that she expressed. The song contains these words. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough. She goes on from there in the song, but she starts there to talk about the pain and the struggle of trying to figure out what it means to follow God into blessing. What is the blessing of God? How can we experience it? What's our part? She would have heard a number of things during that time from probably well-intentioned people around her. Uh, she might have heard that some people say, God helps those who help themselves. Got to go and make your own blessing. Uh, others, more passive approach, let go and let God. Uh, still others who feel you've got to demand what you want from God. Uh, name your blessing and claim it. With enough faith, you can get whatever you want from God. None of those pat answers were particularly helpful for her or for her husband during that time, and, and none of those answers, frankly, are particularly biblical. 
but she came to lay hold of and, and struggle through to understand what is the blessing of God? What does it mean to experience it? What is our part? What are, what are we supposed to do? And what can we expect? This morning, uh, I want to I look with you at a passage of Scripture that speaks to those things. And really today, we're, be, we're beginning a series where we look at the life of Abraham and a man probably more than anyone else in Scripture who came to see the blessing of God and what it meant to lay hold of it. Uh, I'm going to encourage you, uh, if, if you're here for the first time, or if you're just starting the new year and thinking, maybe I'll start some new habits, I'd encourage you to bring your Bible uh, so that you don't think that what I'm saying up here is, is my opinion, or I'm just making this stuff up as I go along. Uh, I want you to be keeping me honest as I look to the scriptures, and uh, I'm going to be reading this morning from Genesis chapter 12. Uh, verses 1 to 9, and if you'd follow along with me, uh, we'll look at that portion of Scripture together. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going Toward the Negev. This is the word of God. And the first thing that Abram teach, Abraham teaches me about following God into blessing is to reject faith's half measures. Often, God will invite us to a place of blessing, and it's not like we just completely reject Him. Sometimes we run the other way, the way Jonah did, but often we will follow Him, but kind of stop somewhere along the way. To follow God into blessing, we need to reject faith's half measures. Uh, it may be confusing through, throughout this series that I keep referring to Abraham, and if you were reading the passage along with me, you would have seen it keeps saying Abram. And uh, just so there's no confusion, I will consistently re- try to consistently refer to Abraham uh, just so that we're not uh, completely confused. But this individual, Abram, has his name changed by God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, so I will call him Abraham. Uh, the two names, they're, they're closely related. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. Uh, some people have simplified that and sa- said that Abram means daddy. Abraham just means big daddy. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I will not be referring to Abraham as Big Daddy for the duration of this series, but if that helps you to keep things straight in your mind, that's fine too. But Abraham lived with his family in a town called Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, it was very near to what you've, you've heard of the Tower of Babel. It was near there. Uh, the place that was notorious for having rejected God's plan and sought to make a name for themselves. It was near where what came to be called Babylon, also notorious in Scripture as a place that uh, often was united in its efforts to rebel against God. So that's where this Abraham character comes from. God tells him to get out. He wants to bless his life, but to bless his life, he wants to take him to a place of blessing. And it'll, it'll involve him getting out from where he is, following him into a land of promise. Abraham does what I think many of us do when God invites us to blessing. He gets halfway. He makes a start of his journey, but he gets bogged down somewhere along the way. I'll read what it says of him in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, just a little bit before our, our passage this morning. It says, They went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. God meets him in Ur, sends him to Canaan, and when he gets to Haran, says, eh, This is pretty close. This is an awfully nice-looking piece of property. It's like if God were to send me to Japan, as he did, tell me to go to Japan, I get to the stopover in Vancouver and look around and say, pretty close. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing high tea at the, at the Fairmont Hotel in, in Vancouver. I'm, I'm strolling around Stanley Park, and I'm thinking, why isn't God blessing my life the way I thought he would? And as I return to that original call, I realize just getting in the vicinity, heading in the kind of the right direction is not really what God asks of us. He calls us to a place of blessing and so often we start heading in the direction and we get bogged down. We stop part way. In Acts chapter 7 verse 4, Stephen says this of Abraham. He says, he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Seems that God in his grace gave Abraham a divine kick in the pants. Knowing that going halfway with God, staying in Haran where God called him to a land of promise in Canaan, he knew that his life would continue to go in circles. It would continue to be marked by frustration expecting the blessing of God, but never being willing to fully follow God into that place of blessing. And so God moved him, removed him, got him going, kept him on that path. Often it's other loyalties that'll keep us stalled halfway in our pursuit of God's blessing. Different things people were committed to, things that we're committed to, things that will get in the way of us following God where he leads us. Stuck in Ur, of, uh, Ur or halfway in Haran, Abraham's actions were liable to be dictated by 
the local culture, the, the traditions that he was familiar with. He would likely have not questioned how things were done. In verse 1, God commands Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. These were the, the, the areas of Abraham's life that were liable to have bound him and kept him and it kept him from seeing what God wanted him to see, kept him to, from following where God wanted him to follow. Our tendency, I think, is to follow God to the extent that it feels comfortable to the people around us, to the extent that the, the, the people that we look to as significant in our lives give the nod of approval. Or we'll follow God to the extent that our culture dictates is kind of reasonable. Gives, our culture will often give us some rails within which this is kind of acceptable behavior. And God wants to confront some of those, uh, some of those uh, things that we would place before God and in our allegiance to him. Otherwise, people will say they believe in Jesus, but act as if their parent is their real God, or their grandparent is their real God, or their child is their real God, or, or else maybe their culture is their real God. Uh, people will say, I know that's what the Bible says, but in my country, this is the way we like to do it. That's how you get stuck in Haran. So we're called to follow. God tells him to get out. God gives him this invitation to a land of blessing. You follow God into blessing by not putting conditions on him, not dictating how God can lead in your life, right? If you look at verse 1 again, God commands Abraham to go to the land I will show you. Don't you hate commands like that? Go where I show you. Like, if... If, if I want a command from God, I would like GPS coordinates, a Google map-inspired uh, ETA. I want real-time updates of, of traffic conditions, possible slowdowns. I, I want to have it all spelled out in front of me, and God doesn't play that game. He says, I'll show you the way to go. You just keep following me. And he does that, not because... He likes to keep people in the dark, not because he's trying to frustrate us, but only because he is God and we're not. And if we are going to relate to him rightly, we are going to have to trust him. He gets to make the decisions. He gets to set the agenda. He sets the course and we in faith say, he knows better than I do. I trust him. I will follow. And so that's the kind of invitation that that Abraham gets. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says of Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. He followed. He believed that God had a good plan, and he was willing to submit to that plan, to give himself to it. He calls us to follow, often not knowing where we're going, but we know who it is that we're following. And it is, again, that response of trust and faith that he calls us to. And so as you come to the end of this first section of, of, of this passage, the question is, are you still stuck in Haran? Are, are there ways in which God has invited you to follow him, and you've heard the call, 
but your response has really kind of been half-hearted or with half measures. You, you went in the right general vicinity. You didn't run in the opposite direction, but if you're honest, you didn't fully respond to him either. Have you held back from trust, fully trusting Jesus with your life, but reassured yourself, hey, I'm a good person, that's got to count for something? Or, or have you said to yourself, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at least not totally rejecting you, God, I, I think about you more than I did before, but fully giving myself to you, fully trusting my life to you, just seems like a little much. I don't know what people would say. I don't know how people would respond. Have you let parents or children or your past or your culture, something that somebody has said, something that someone has done, dictate how and how far you will trust God, how you will follow God? What we learn from this passage and as it, with respect to blessing is that God's invitation to blessing begins with the word go. He's expecting us to follow him. And the, the answer that he is, respond, he is expecting in response to that word go is yes, without reservation. I, I will follow you. I trust you. I believe that you are worth following. So we reject faith's half measures. We go all in with God and his invitation to blessing. So we follow God's, God into blessing by rejecting faith's half measures, also by receiving God's blessing to be a blessing. Our tendency, or at least my tendency, is to think of blessing as something that God drops into my lap. Something I want and God gives it to me. That's blessing. But it Whenever I look at Scripture, that's never the way that, that blessing is portrayed. Consistently in Scripture, blessing is something that God does in my life. Yes, he wants to bless me, but so that I would then bring blessing to others. That I would become a channel of his grace. To follow God into blessing, we receive God's blessing to be a blessing. Now, when we talk about God's blessing, I think too often we start from a position of entitlement. God ought to bless me. I am so blessworthy. I, I, am, I am deserving of God's blessing. He should really uh, pour out his blessing in my life. That, that we tend to think like that, right? But as we start in chapter 12, we remember, if you look back and you read through chapters 1 to 11, if anything you become convinced of, it is that we are totally unworthy of God's blessing. If he's going to bless us, it will come as a gift and never as a reward. It, it, it starts in the garden with Adam and Eve's sin, then the murder of Abel by Cain, then just going deeper and deeper into sin, and nothing seems to slow it down or stop it. God brings judgment, almost wiping out the entire world with a, with a flood. Doesn't seem to help. God disperses the nations and confuses their language at Babel, and it doesn't seem to help. And at every point, you would think, surely this is the point where God says, I've had enough. I'm giving up with my creation. They are beyond healing. 
We, kept ex- we keep expecting that chapter to occur, and it never occurs. He keeps on, and he doesn't seem to give up. And we get to chapter 12, and God calls this man named Abraham, and he says, okay, my plan to bless this world is now going to come through you. But it's not just for you, it is for the entire world. And you realize God hasn't given up. But it comes as a gift, not a reward. And so we need to put aside and throw behind us any sense of entitlement. God, you've got to bless me because I'm just such a great person. I'm just so worthy of it. You might even think, well, the reason he picked Abraham is because he was just such an amazing individual. But Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abraham and his family were idolaters. They knew of the one true God. They they had a knowledge of him, but they served other gods as well. They came, remember, from the the they came from the area of, of, of the Tower of Babel. They came from what came to be known as Babylon. They came from a place that was known for its sin, but God said, Not because you deserve it, but because I am gracious. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bring blessing to this earth. So God blessed Abraham, but in verse 3, he makes it clear that he would bring blessing to all people. He says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was his way of showing and hinting up front, I'm going to bring through your line a Savior who will be Savior for all of this world. And he goes on to explain that how we relate to that Savior, how we relate to Abraham and the offspring of Abraham will determine whether we walk into blessing or whether we walk into curse. It, it all depends not on, not on what we've got, not on how, how, how good we are or how special we are. It will, determine, it will be determined from this point on in history how we relate to this one through whom God promises to bring blessing. Notice also in verse 2 that God blesses Abraham so that he will be a blessing. This is how God consistently works through Scripture. He works through people who are willing to be a channel of his grace. So Jesus, for instance, said, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, Paul said that the God of all comfort will comfort us in our trials so that we may comfort others in their trials. That's the way God works. He doesn't just plop blessing down into your lap like it's something that I got to get. He does bless, bless us, and he is relentless in his desire to bless us, but it is a blessing that we would bless others that we would be a channel of his grace. And misunderstanding this is a, a huge setback for people in their understanding of God's blessing. Because if you, if you miss this, then you miss what God is trying to do in your life. We want God to provide for us. But often we're not so keen to give to others. We want God to help us. But we're not really prepared to serve others. It gets in the way when we don't understand that God does want to bless our lives, 
but he's going to bless lives that are willing to be a channel of his grace, not just a one-way stop. So following God into blessing means receiving God's blessing to be a blessing. So we've, we want to follow God into blessing. We want to understand how God blesses us. And we said that following God into blessing means rejecting half measures. It means receiving God's blessing to be a blessing. But finally, Abraham teaches us that to follow God into blessing, we need to learn to worship God while we wait. With such an extravagant promise of blessing, I would have expected, boy, this is going to be great. Like verse 4 must be amazing. He, he, he lays out this plan of blessing in verses 1 to 3. I'm expecting, wow, it's all going to happen right away. And it doesn't. It, the text says that Abraham was 75 years old. And his wife, Sarah, was 65 years old when they left Haran and headed to Canaan. In verse 2, God promises to make him into a great nation. It's only one problem. Sarah, in 65 years, had not been able to have a child. That was going to be a struggle. And so you read that and you think, well, no problem. God can do anything. I'm looking down through the rest of the chapter waiting for the baby announcement. And I get down to the end of chapter 12 and it doesn't come. In fact, Abraham and Sarah will have to wait 25 years for that child to arrive. 25 years of waiting for one child. The waiting will allow other, other aspects of God's plan to unfold. It's not, a, it's not a, a meaningless waiting. God has a plan. But his plan takes a long time. The waiting will test and refine the faith of Abraham and Sarah. It'll show them and us the incredible power and promise of God. But it's a reminder to you and to me that God's promises are so often accompanied by waiting. And if you are in a rush for God to bless you now, too often you will miss out on understanding what God is seeking to do in your life. God's promises are also accompanied by temptation. We like to think that following God must be really easy. Now we're going in God's direction. What could stop us, right? Except we get to verse 6 and Abraham finally arrives in Canaan. He's not in Haran anymore. He's in the promised land. We see him at the Oak of Moreh. And it's an ominous sign. Because in the ancient Near East, these prominent large trees, trees that were important enough to be named, they were often the place where people would gather to worship foreign gods. It was exactly the place that a former idolater like Abraham was li liable to get tripped up. Liable to say, well, I'm following this one God, but I've got to figure out, you know, uh, there must be blessings that these other gods might be able to provide for me as well. So easy to hear the call of the old life. To, to, to feel those temptations to return to what was familiar when so much in Abraham's life was 
was challenging and unfamiliar. So God's promises are often accompanied by temptation. They're often also accompanied by opposition. I don't know about you, but if if somebody says that they are going to bless me and they want me to follow them into a land of blessing, I'm kind of expecting that God must have some big tract of land somewhere, preferably with a fence and maybe a pool, like some place where I can just kind of move in and, and it's ready and waiting for me. But it doesn't say that. In fact, in, in verse 6, you, got, you have that ominous line, he's finally gotten out of Haran, arrived in the promised land, and it says, at that time, the Canaanites lived in the land. And guess what? The Canaanites weren't too keen on this promise to Abraham. The, the Canaanites weren't so, so, so happy to just say, oh, is God's promise this to you. We'll, we'll just move out. We don't need to stay. We've been living here for hundreds of years, but by all means, take it, take it over from us. They didn't, th- they didn't think that way. There was opposition in the land, and that would bring about more waiting. So Abraham would have to wait because God's promises are often accompanied by temptation and by opposition. But Abraham, when, he, when he's forced to wait, he does two things. And I love this. He's in God's waiting room, and he does two things in response. The first comes in verse 8. It says, he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Didn't have it all figured out. Didn't know exactly what God had in mind. He's feeling the pull of his old life. He's feeling the opposition of his new realities. But he calls upon the name of the Lord. He says, I'm going to set up an altar here because the Lord is in control in this place. And then in verse 9 it says, and Abraham journeyed on. He kept going. He kept following. Not knowing how it's all going to play out. Didn't know how long he's going to have to wait for. He didn't have the specifics of exactly how God was going to provide a, a, a child, form a nation, give him the land. D- didn't know any of that stuff. But he worshiped God and he kept following. He's in God's waiting room facing temptation and opposition, but he starts to worship. And through his worship, he expresses his trust, his faith, and his conviction that God is in control. God is good. And God, when I put my life in his hands, my life can be at rest. I think you and I would have been tempted to start complaining to God, right? We would have said, like, look, God, look how much I've given up. I made it all the way. I left Haran for you. I left comfort. I've given up all this. My, my, I had a reputation. People respected me. Life was good. Start complaining to God. But Abraham worshipped God in the waiting room. And he trusted that God's plan was worth waiting for. That's why we call him the father of our faith. That's why we look to him as the one who gives us an example of what it means to trust our lives to God. Eventually, he did have a child, right? 
Eventually, through that child would come a nation. Eventually, through that nation would come a savior. And eventually, through that savior would come one who would bring blessing to all the nations of this earth. Through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can know forgiveness, acceptance before a holy God. We can know the blessings of eternal life. We can know the blessings of being a child of God like Abraham did, not because we deserve it, but as a free gift to all who would trust him, to all who would follow him. Jesus didn't leave the comfort of Ur or settle in Haran. He left the comfort and luxuries of heaven itself to come into our world. He gave up the privilege of heaven for us. He followed the will of the Father even to the point of death. He didn't hold anything back. He rejected Satan's temptations to steal blessings for himself. And instead, he gave himself up. He gave up everything that he had so that we might enjoy all that he gave up for us. He knew neither safety nor ease. He didn't live a life of comfort. But his life glorified God as he awaited his reward. And now he invites us to follow him, to walk with him into blessing, not knowing how it's all played out, not knowing the specifics or the details or the timing, knowing that there will be temptation and opposition, knowing that there will include waiting, but knowing that it, it is in him that God has chosen to bless this world and that we can enter into that blessing through faith in him. I began by talking about Laura Story's song, Blessings. And her story starts where our stories often start. We assume that God will just fix everything if we ask him. We think that God helps those who help themselves. But as she progresses through that song, her faith comes to a more mature faith. She recognizes a more uh, deep and profound understanding of blessing. Her song points to Abraham's faith, a faith that rejects half measures, a faith that understands blessing as something that we receive to bless others, a faith that understands that there will be worship in the waiting room. It ends like this. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments are the aching of this life is a revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies? in disguise. Let's follow God into blessing as we look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray to you because we believe that you are a God who doesn't relent in bringing blessing to your people. Help us not to treat you like a genie. 
Help us not to give half-hearted response to your leading and wonder why you won't bless us. Help us to follow you when we don't know where we're going, to trust you with our lives, no strings attached. Help us to see how we can bless others and not just see your blessing for ourselves. Give us grace to serve and to give and to love the way you do. We know there will be temptation and opposition, and we know we'll have to wait. But by faith, we declare that you are the one worth waiting for. We choose your blessings over this world's counterfeits, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.